So uh, one thing uh, that I enjoy about uh, meta or that I, I, I think it, it does that uh, is extremely um, healthy So that quality of mind, uh, as you know now, I think is uh, in Buddhist psychology. It's uh, it's a wholesome quality of mind. So in Buddhist psychology, uh, some qualities of mind are unwholesome and some are wholesome. And maybe there's other things to say about it, but it's pretty kind of um, it's like this: you know, hatred never welcome, never will be helpful, beneficial. Beneficial always means beneficial for self and others. Um, and so metta is uh, known to be beneficial, so never not welcome in any situation, as we explored a little bit yesterday, and um, yeah, never not helpful. And so it means that, um, yeah, we really have to define, I, I, I use the word define, but it's, it's for lack of a better wor- word, because it's defined in uh, experience, in an embodied way, you know, understand maybe uh, deeply, insight, vipassana, that's what it means, uh, is a knowing that is not, uh, you know. So we have to find the different uh, expressions of metta, the different uh, manifestations uh, to see when it is and when it is not, because we might be mistaken that this is metta, but actually it's uh, self-denial, you know. (laughs) It's uh, it's uh, I'm, I'm being nice, you know, because I I'm, I have this idea of what would be love or unconditional love or friendliness or uh, kind. What would be kind? So it comes from an idea, and then I'm in trouble after because uh, it doesn't feel right. I might not respect my own boundaries or uh, you know uh, something like this. So it's 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 a it's a profound work to actually know for oneself, see for oneself, and this is the, the definition of this practice, that the Buddha kept saying this, come and see for yourself, so you don't have to believe anybody. Imagine you believe somebody who says, you have to be kind, you know, and you go from there. That creates a mess, I think, you know, because you start being nice in ways that uh, d- don't, uh, doesn't, doesn't, uh, consider the whole of what is felt, the whole of what is there inside oneself and the other. You know, it's just uh, ideas. Do you see what I mean? So, you know, I, you know, is it okay with you? Yeah, it's okay. It's okay. You know, it's actually not okay. This is, this is kindness to let you know that it's not okay. You know? And so, so to know this for oneself is, needs research and uh, exploration like we're doing here and like we're going to do later, it takes uh, that factor of mind of inquiry, like this curiosity. What is kindness? What is true friendship? What is, you know, and I, and I can see, I can maybe discover truly what it is for me so that I don't have to believe anybody. I don't have to follow quotes, you know. I know, I know, I've... I've, I've I've paid attention. <coughs> so that's that's probably over a lifetime. You know, it's not it's not instant. That's that's lifetimes maybe. You know, like it's on a big stretch of time. This is not an instant meditation. You know, it's it's not like that. It's uh, I think. But uh, one thing that I s- I see one ki- one aspect of. Um, I would call it renunciation because that word comes back a lot in the teaching. The teachings, it's the teachings of renunciation. But again, if we have just this, we hear this, we might think, "Oh, I have to, I don't know, you know, give up my car, and you know, you know, I might renounce the wrong things. You know, that I, it's not, I don't maybe need to renounce that. I don't know about that particular object, but you know." And the renunciation, when we know deeply what it means, is renouncing what is unbeneficial. You know, what is not helping me and others? What is not serving? 
And so what I see being abandoned, or is it re- re- relished or relinquished? Is that the synonym? Yeah. Is um, uh, in the re- in the relationship with others through uh, meta, maybe I want to say deep sense of meta. What I see far away is. Uh, 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 you know, expectations. You know, you should be how I think you should be. You know, that kind of violence <coughs> in exchange for realness, being real about what, who, what's going on. You know. So, uh, expectations and idealization is something that happens a lot. You know. Like, let's take just romance, for example. Oh, I fall in love with you, I'm going to project. I idealize you in some way, you know, and after I'm going to be really disappointed about you, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and so when, when there is that uh, friendliness, that meta that comes with uh, care, attention, being attentive, paying attention to what's really there, there's this kind of honesty that I, we, can, we can release people from, from that projection, idealization, expectations, Thinking that I, I, uh, you know, uh, what we call maybe, maybe I think I heard uh, it called uh, prema, prema, maybe in Sanskrit, something like this. It's a kind of love that is close by, but as attachment to it. And so, you know, I love you, but I would prefer a little improved version of you. You know, I love you, but this aspect here really should be a little bit up or you know, removed. Or, you know. And of course it's n- it makes sense that we would be in such relationships with people or ah, ourselves. You know? You know? I love myself when you know, I'm finally like this. This is the minimum requirement. You know? And so all these in this practice, they fall away, they fall away. I learned to uh, wish well to one being, although <coughs> they're pretty defective, myself or another, that's when we present it. You know. So it's uh, all this kind of, uh, this thing, let's call it generally expectations, demands. You know. It falls and we meet somewhere else underneath that, you know. And underneath that, what is there? Wow, this heart beating, this breath, this sensitivity, and there's a wish for well-being, for happiness. And I can recognize this, although there's all the layers of, you know, whatever neurosis, if <coughs> we want to call it like this, you know, that I, I tune in at another level, kind of a, to me, it's more deep, you know. You have the right to, to live. You, know, you, you have the right to safety. Um, so there's something universal in it. In a way, it's not that personal. You know. It's uh, it's it's to to me it feels more like baseline. Like I'm understanding that humans are born. It's difficult to be a human being. And uh, it's imperative that I honor my life and your life. All beings, any beings, anyone excluded, no one excluded. Mm-hmm. Um, because of the what's common to a human life, that you don't know what's coming. Not easy to be a human being, you do not know what's coming. It's uncertain, so uncertain, you know. So we recognize this, and through this recognition, I think that might be a place where, even for just a few seconds, we can actually uh, feel differently something else for a difficult person, for example. Where we recognize that this being, in their confusion and, and harmful actions and all this, there's something baseline there, as they were once... Uh, a newborn, you know, so 
something something of that recognition. And um, so I can I can let go of uh, the story how I identified, for example, a person with actions. That's a kind of a maybe one of the hardest. I'll put it this way: one of the hardest confusion to clear up. You know how I identify somebody with uh, an action. The action maybe was despicable or or off harmful in some ways and mm, in my confusion I might add confuse the two together have you experienced this and again it's for in relationship to another or for oneself the damage of this you know if I've done something harmful and I equate the harmful action or words or lack of words or lack of action with moi Like it defines me. I'm in trouble because now I'm stuck in guilt, of, you know, avoidance, justification, agitation of all kinds. You know? And if I'm able to separate the two, oh, there was these words said, and they had that impact. You know, they were based in, you know, hatred or delusion or lack of consideration or ignorance, or, and they really were said from this location here. But it's not exact, it de doesn't define me. That's very tricky. And uh, I've talked, I think, a couple of times up to now about um, uh, middle path. We talk a lot about Buddhism as being the middle way. It's the way between the extremes. The extreme of looking only for pleasure and avoiding pain at all costs, or the extreme of uh, not wanting any pleasure because of the leads to attachment and you know and the capacity to meet pleasure and release it and the capacity to be with the difficult and release it so that's one way we talk about the middle path so another way of the middle path as I understand it is that I don't fall in the extreme of identification identifying people with qualities of mind like you are like, you are this, you are like this. You know. But this kind of behavior, this kind of uh, mental qualities is so harmful in the world. You know. So, and same thing for myself, you know, that I don't, I don't, so that's an extreme, identification, fusing the two together. It's, a, it's an extreme in the sense that it's going to be stressful for me and for others. I'm going to be stuck in hatred, I'm going to be, and I'm going to come to retreats, Meta retreats, and I'm going to try to keep sending meta <laughs> to that person because I know it's so hard to keep somebody outside of the heart and to, you know, be charged. And uh, that identification is extremely stressful. On the other uh, spectrum, another uh, extreme is to irresponsibility, you know, to not hold anybody accountable or myself, you know. You know, my teacher told me it's not me. I don't shouldn't identify. So hey, it was sad. It was done. You know, or it doesn't count. No, I love you. We're all one. You know, you're abusing me. You don't know anything about boundaries. You know, and it's all good because it's not you. You're you're so much more than that. You know, and so the middle path. <laughs> I'm joking about it, but it's so not. <laughs> you know, we, we know it's not funny. You know, it's good. We. We're light about it now. The middle path is the path of responsibility for oneself, you know. That, wow, there is this that is, uh, you know, that was said or done, you know, and taking responsibility, feeling the heat of like, wow, the impact of something that one might have done or not done. <sighs> But not falling into guilt. It's really, it's, this is, this is not a path. This is a, the tiniest thread ever, <laughs> you know, to walk on. It's not like, okay, I'll, I won't fall in the extremes. It's so tiny that I keep falling, you know. No, it's not my fault. It's because, you know, and, oh, it's my fault, I'm bad, you know. But what's in the middle? This was said, this was done. <gasps> I understand now the impact of this. Or this being is behaving like this. We need to, you know, I'll send them 
wishes of well-being and I won't see them for a few years. You know, <laughs> or, you know, or I decided that, you know, whatever and all cases are, each case is different. But, uh, so, um, so I don't know if, um, as I say this, you can kind of apply the model on personal experiences of your own you know, actions and words or those of somebody else, you know, and, and I know that hearing this can be very triggering, like, oh, no, you know, my worldview is shaken or or I, it doesn't, I can't apply that model on that relationship or that person. It, it's, my whole system is, is charged about it. So it's, it's totally okay. We don't have to believe in it, anything. I, don't, I, ho- I, I hope at least it's understandable. <laughs> that would be like, I hope at least my words can you know, I leave some impressions. You know. <coughs> it's it's uh, um, yeah. This is extremely kind of. I think it's very subtle points, but uh, to me anyway, in my life, they've made a big difference. It's not sh- just a model, intellectual model. It actually has helped me a lot uh, release charge against other people and against myself, you know. Um, There's one also, one other aspect, if you allow me. um, When I talked about um, letting go of um, expectations and and, uh, projections, there's uh, one aspect that I talked a bit about uh, this morning that I want to come back on just uh, a few more words because I think it's extremely important when I uh, I talked about um, basically bias you know uh, how um, how with meta realizing that people are alive they're breathing they're sensitive this can be one way actually uh, to Get rid of the uh, the bias that we biases that we have. I'm talking here about sexism, racism, ageism, ableism, uh, transphobia, uh, fat shaming. I mean, there's there's so many uh, so many things. Uh, you know, I'm thinking about cognitive diversity. You know, and uh, and. Uh, and so the tendency that I have to uh, give value to beings, the tendency that I, I have that is really uh, systemic, systemic m- created by so- our society, to give value to some people, more value to some people, depending on their economic means, or, and not give value to others for different reasons. This, I think, is an extremely powerful tool, what we're tr- practicing here, to actually see through this, see the illusion through this, see the delusion and the harm that is uh, caused. I think that's, that's one way that we can dismantle uh, this uh, injustice that is playing out in so many ways. Um, a few years ago, uh, with uh, colleagues and friends, we were, um, we started, uh, d- there was a, a site, um, I think it, were, it was called, <coughs> maybe something like Implicit Bias Project, or something like this by uh, some researchers from uh, Harvard University. You could go online and do little tests, like quick moves of fingers and images flashing through, and it would reveal... Uh, to me, my biases regarding different groups, uh, size, skin color, uh, uh, etc., the whole range. And uh, and it was to learn about how I perceive the world, you know, in terms of value, who has value, who's dangerous, who's not, you know, uh, these projections. And uh, and so we were doing the test and discovering and... uh, 
for example, I am a gay man, and uh, and when I was about to do the the bias uh, in terms of homophobia, I just checked in myself and said, "So what's going to be the result, Pascal? <laughs> what's going to be the result?" And I thought I'm going to be slightly homophobic, you know, because I'm a product of this society that is, you know, heterocentric. You know, so it, it would be surprising that I would not be homophobic, you know, and and I just from Im- past impressions of how I've looked at people and considered people, I thought, I'm going to be a little homophobic here. You know? So I have to be prepared for this. And I did the test, and, I, and it came back like, uh, I don't know, slight homophobia, or, <coughs> you know. Uh, and, uh, and then, so I, with the, the colleagues, we were saying, okay, so now, yeah, we know more, we're more aware. What, how, what do you do now? And so uh, Kate, one of the colleagues contacted the researcher at the university to ask her, so what do we do now that we know? You know, cause <laughs> you, you know that's, that's not enough. You know, like, uh, I mean, it, and uh, the researchers, not knowing what we were teaching and what we were about, you know, she said, you know, what's the best thing is to be mindful <laughs> now in life, you know, because you'll see, your, if you're mindful, you'll see your bias. It'll be, you'll be, become conscious. <coughs> oh, I'm seeing in this person a bad person, you know. Is that true? You know? And and she was saying, like, stay really tuned. Like, now that you know, when you see, see how you don't want to approach this person because of their age or size or they're, they're invisible or seen as uh, this or that, you know. And, and do this. This is how you're going to, one of the ways that you're going to transform your society, you know, is by your own heart. And uh, so she came back to us, Kate, and she said, you know, what's the answer? <laughs> the answer is to pay attention, you know, so we s- should be well equipped, you know. <laughs> and there's a lot of work to do, you know. And, uh, but that's, that's the, so to me, this meta, both the mindfulness, but also the, <coughs> this recognition, this deep uh, recognition of the, I don't know if I, some of these words in English I use because I've heard them and they, they intuitively they ring, but I've never looked them up. So I never know if I'm actually in the field or up, you know. But the, something about sentient beings, the sentientness, to me, I think it might talk about fragility, sensitivity, consciousness being, uh, you know, some recognition of this. And so that's one way to actually meet people and it's a practice it's a practice because <coughs> otherwise people are easily obstacles you know in my day you know and to remember in traffic that somebody <laughs> but again I would not want this to be about being nice like it shouldn't be a should an imposition you should be nice be a nice person that's not the way a sustainable way a meaningful way to do this it's uh, we're talking about the way of freedom, you know, feeling in connection and, uh, and something becoming vibrant in our lives, you know. And uh, one of the reasons to do this also is to, uh, well, I mean, the violence around what I'm talking about, the, the violence, it's fatal, you know, people actually lose their life because of bias. Mm-hmm. We know this, and some of us, you know, uh, know this m- much more than other of us, you know, and so it's fatal, so that's the level of importance it has, but it's also, uh, and I know I'm talking from uh, from a lot of privilege, unearned privilege, so here's a cisgender white male talking about this, of course it's going to be kind of limited, and you know, I'm talking from a a place of a lot of, uh, of, um, you know, plus I have green eyes, I'm I don't know. I've never heard about this, but I think that it gives me an ad- uh, unearned advantage <laughs> sometimes, you know, that people are list- willing to uh, listen to me a little bit more. Or uh, I, I'm not sure if I've been inventing something there, but, you know, there's, there's something about, you know, like sometimes like they, they give me intelligence <laughs> like because there's something, they like the eyes, so they're willing to listen, you know, or something. But uh, all these things... I think they are actually playing out, and that's quite superficial and crazy making, but still, 
you know, to see in one's own heart, to free one's own heart of this is a very, very valuable work because it's fatal, but also because um, I'm becoming more and more aware of this, catching up. Uh, it it, uh, it pulls down, it, uh, it limits, it, uh, it's aggravating in the, you know, mi- micro, that's the word that is used, you know, in a mi- micro way, micro aggression. Uh, and so, um, those of us who are part of uh, groups that are uh, on the, uh, the dominant groups have a lot of work to do. You know, uh, we we really have to be extremely responsible. So that's where I put that line here. There's a r- there really is responsibility. You know, it's not how, oh, but everybody's no. It, maybe it is ultimately, but the way we live is not like that. You know, we're constantly uh, putting people on, you know, in hierarchy or value like this, and so it will require so much work to actually uh, uh, clear this up, and it actually needs to be done. It's uh, ur- urgent. It's been for a long time. So I wanted to bring this in, so because often we'll do the these kinds of practices of mindfulness and, and uh, meta practice, and it's uh, it feels very kind of personal me, my life, my people around me, and my difficult people. But hold on, it's much, much, much bigger than than that. It reaches, it can reach much in a much larger way than this. And so I want to. I feel it's important to name it because we, we not only are uh, personal beings, personal with others. We are also sh- social beings. You know, we we belong to systems uh, of oppression, and uh, and it's uh, it's not okay not to name it. Also, I haven't uh, clearly talked about the Brahma Viharas, a, a group of qualities of the metta. Finds it in Buddhist psych- um, I keep <laughs> <laughs> in Buddhist psychology. Uh, there's a lot of lists. Many of you know that, but you might not uh, know that. So the teaching has many forms: you know, storytelling, uh, symbols, images, uh, you know, and lists, lists of things in a pedagogical way it's very useful there's four of this check them out two of this have you checked them out you know and so meta finds its itself in many many lists the ten perfections the four Brahma Viharas the I can't remember all of them but there's uh, many of them and it's part of a, a very um, I think a powerful list uh, of the divine abodes so the way I understand the story uh, th- of what was happening is at the time of the Buddha, there was um, uh, a certain belief, desire to be reborn in the world of Brahma, merge with Brahma, be with Brahma. And the Buddha uh, came in and gave a little twist, which becomes Buddhism at some point, you know. So this wise being comes and gives a little twist to that uh, view and says, do you want me to tell you what is the world of Brahma, the abode, the refuge of Brahma, however you want to call it. You you want to be reborn there. Let me tell you, the world of Brahma, there's four four abodes or uh, divine dwellings. You know? And so one is metta. So it's not actually a place. It's not after death. 
it's if you want to live with Brahma, live in benevolence. It's a beautiful teaching. Like suddenly it drives it really present. So it's almost as if he was saying, uh, that's how I understand it from this point of view here today. <coughs> heaven, let me, there's four heavens. Heaven is uh, benevolence, is heaven. That's, that's powerful teaching. Like you dream of, uh, you know, happiness. It's a way to talk about what is happiness. Happiness is benevolence. So nurture this. See its presence, its absence, invite it. See how it can feel, what, how it manifests itself. So, uh, so benevolence. The other one is, and we've talked about all of these up to now, is compassion. So the particular feel or manifestation of benevolence when it encounters what is difficult. We talked about this especially la- uh, last evening, but plenty of opportunity to practice this here you know? so the suffering that is uh, the difficulty that are physical emotional in this being but that we also see around uh, in our life we meet you know listening to our friends or watching the hearing radio or you know like so the, the this particular so that's interesting a brahma vihara the divine dwelling compassion so it's of saying it doesn't require that there's no suffering it's about the relationship to it the way to actually meet it that is to me opens up a little door for a few years of research you know okay so you're telling me that heaven in what am i hearing right that one kind of heaven is the capacity to meet suffering in a healthy way, in a heartful way where the mind doesn't, you know, collapse or freeze as naturally it would do but to train the heart in the way that it can actually hold, support uh, meet be tenderized but not broken you know, by difficulties another divine abode is uh, joy joy particularly in that list it uh, talks about uh, sympathetic joy the joy for the happiness of others and this evening Muriel will lead us a little bit in uh, reflection contemplation around this Uh, so the capacity this to me talks a lot (coughs) about nourishment the Dalai Lama says, if you have access to that kind of joy, the joy for the happiness of others, you are tapping into an infinite well of joy. Because there is always something happening for somebody that is uh, beautiful and ethical. And so the capacity to actually see this uh, is, uh, is a kind of heaven. Uh, and then the last uh, abode, heaven, is equanimity. Equanimity is the, it, it refers to, um, I mean, I'm going to put a few words on it, <coughs> again, decades of exploration, you know, inwardly. But it's um, the stability of the heart that doesn't fall into the extreme of attachment. I love, I want to keep, I love, don't go, I love, you know. This, I love, I fear you're not going to be happy. Is that equanimity is, uh, doesn't fall into that extreme or extreme of despair and reactivity of all kinds, hatred, you know, that can have a sustainability, you could say, you know, that can actually meet the fluctuation, you know. It's not drab, it's not indifference. It's been, that's what we call the near enemy. All these uh, qualities of the heart have near and far enemies. The far enemies, far enemy means it's so different that from very far you recognize this is not metta, this is not compassion. You know, it's the opposite. The near enemy is something that could we could misperceive uh, as being that abode, but it's not actually. So, indifference is not equanimity. 
equanimity, one of the definition of it is uh, equally, equal, equally, equally near to all things. I find it extremely evocative and uh, profound. It talks about intimacy, connection, you know. So, and it talks about giving value to what is happening, not to this, but not to that. Like, when I'll be home. Not here. Here I don't care in the bus about this life. I care about life when I'm home. And suddenly it says, no. Equally near to all things. When I'll be better, or when the other will be better. You know? No. Here's somebody here. You know, they deserve uh, attention. Um, be your interest, are you interested in the near and far enemy of each one of these? Maybe you already know <coughs> this, or can figure them out. Um, so attachment for um, for meta is the near enemy. You might, oh, I love you so much. You know, I'm actually projecting like crazy, <laughs> and I'm attached. I don't want you to go. You know, I'm joking a little bit about it, but it's real stuff. You know, it it happens, and it's tender stuff. You know? But uh, it has the, the image that is used sometimes is a closed hand. You know? I'd love you, but don't go. I love you, but you know, uh, be nice. Or, and but that other love is uh, the meta is open-handed. So I wish you well. You know? I, and I cannot make it happen. And I cannot control it. And yet I wish you well. The far enemy of love is what would you would you say? You s- is so different that you hatred, yeah. So hatred, yeah. Maybe an indifference too. I mean, it's all like movable pieces, mm-hmm. but still, <laughs> you know. Um, for compassion, the near enemy is. Uh, that we could mistake it for as pity. Mm-hmm. And maybe it has different meaning in different uh, settings, but uh, here it would mean I'm above, I'm not suffering, you're suffering, so I'm so sorry for you. You know, there's not a, that's not like, hey, I could be there in two seconds, exactly where you are. You know? Like the fragility, the instability, the conditionality of life makes it that I'm also. Like it's not like, oh, I'm so mentally healthy and poor you, you're not. You know, like mental health, so delicate. <coughs> you know. And the far enemy is the cruelty, is the pleasure at seeing suffering instead of uh, wanting to alleviate the suffering. For uh, mudita, uh, for joy, it's the term in the Pali. Uh, joy of the joy of other. Maybe will you talk about this tonight, uh, Muriel? Mm-hmm. No, I could leave some suspense. <laughs> <laughs> Shall I? A little suspense. Sure. Okay. <laughs> More will be revealed. And um, and for uh, for uh, equanimity, the near enemy I named it is indifference, you know, disconnection, uh, lack of consideration. So that's not equanimity. And the far enemy is reactivity. You know? And so, uh, and uh, equanimity is, in the Buddhist psychology, is often considered the highest, uh, the most subtle, highest uh, quality, or m- more difficult to acquire, the capacity to have things come and go, you know, pleasure and displeasure and gathering and separation and, you know, uh, all, this, the, all the movements of the the natural <coughs> world, you know, the human nature of our experience, to actually uh, stay uh, steady in it. It's interesting they come in a group of four to me- mean something. It talks about kind of how they f- help each other. So, for example, if we had uh, develop strong compassion, uh, and there might be something a little lopsided where we wouldn't see the beauty in the world and wouldn't be able to rejoice and appreciate it because we would just see what doesn't work and feel for that. You know? And there, w- there would be an imbalance. And so it seems like joy is saying, hey, come, 
come, yes, this is true, and we're not going to deny it, but come, what else? What else do, can you notice here? What else is we can appreciate? What, what is beautiful? And in the same way, you know, we meet sometimes people, they're a little upside, they have access to joy, or it might even not be exactly it, it might be bypassing, you know, it's all good, it's all good, we're good, you know, it's actually, no, honey, it's not that good. (laughs) (laughs) Come, come, you know, it's good to consider, you know, and so, um, and so they help each other, and um, maybe uh, equanimity will give, um, (coughs) I think for every one of them, it will give, for the the others, it will give them, uh, you know, uh, depth and breadth and duration and uh, stability, so that, for example, the metta, the love, is not just like, boom, two minutes of love, you know, and now, you know, the light is red, and so now I'm impatient, and it's gone, you know. It's not uh, shaky, like it's able to, uh, to stay, stay through the difficulties, stay, stay engaged, you know. Um, and so, yeah, it gives strength each other. And I think they say also that uh, if they were each alone, they would uh, they would they could easily become uh, defective their their defect, you know, that you know, equanimity without love and joy and compassion could become cold. Mm-hmm. And that uh, love could become very sentimental. You know, and, uh, and that actually with equanimity it gives it uh, stability. You know, yeah. So these are some of the teachings around these uh, qualities. And here, you know, <coughs> even before me uh, naming this, still, that's what we're practicing with the schedule. You know, it's staying with the going to the walk, even if like it doesn't please me. You know? Saying, actually, can I? This this is kind of the design, and I'm not saying that it has to be exactly followed, but still, the form in a general way is meant to develop this. Can I actually stay connected, although this is boring, or appears boring? Can I actually, that's, I'm stretching my equanimity. Oh, this is disagreeable. Can I stay connected? And uh, uh, this way we're invited to actually see nature, and see the beauty, and appreciate uh, uh, what's lovely. Laugh a little bit, and so we. Oh, yeah, it's really hard that we can crack a joke here, you know, and maybe release a little bit something. And so, altogether, they have they can be seen as a vortex or the the threads of a rope, you know, that makes something really powerful because there's compassion weaved in with the joy, weaved in with the stability of mind, weaved in with the well wishing, you know, and then you can actually meet life. So that's that's what we're playing with and exploring here. Maybe I'll, there's a few more minutes, so I'll finish with a few words about equanimity. Um, so that really high quality of uh, of mind. Of non-reactivity, <coughs> it doesn't. Uh, you know, in, in the way these words are used, is non-reactivity doesn't mean you're like a non-reactive. It's uh, it's uh, opposing maybe reactivity to responsiveness. So able to respond, to engage with, but not react in which means habitual <coughs> way, uh, harmful ways, uh, uh, stressful ways. You know, but to. Uh, so one way we could see equanimity is, is also as flexibility of mind, pliability. The mind can adapt to different, like, not knowing what's coming makes, uh, for human beings, as I understand it, is that we project all the time. We cannot not do it. You know, come, like now we're projecting that it's, this is going to finish one day, this talk. There's going to be a meal. (laughs) And so, because we don't know, but we have to kind of assume, uh, make statistics, you know, in the past talks, I've finished, you know, so so I can assume it might finish, you know, so it's, so we function like this, we create something because we don't know, you know, 
and then and we're constantly adjusting. Oh, I thought it would be warmer. It's a little colder. Oh, I thought it would be uh, warm and it's really hot. You know. Oh, I thought it would be we would arrive at that time, but apparently suddenly there's this. You know. We're constantly adapting, so that's part of the equanimity is the, the flexibility of mind to, to uh, and the wisdom to recognize, oh, of course I projected, that's what the m- mind does that for survival, and it makes sense, but it's actually, projections are just that, you know? So disappointment is a little like, uh, <laughs> you know, oh my God, that's not as I expected, as if as I expected is real, you know? The other one is disappointing, <laughs> you know? So... Um, but uh, equanimity, it says, is uh, based on a deep, deep recognition of, uh, of the uncertainty of reality. Deep recognition and acceptance. That's how the mind becomes equanimous. Because it's not confused that it, you know, it should be certain. Of course it's not certain. Wow. And I don't know if you feel this, but when, for myself, I name these, or when I feel it in the group, that, that when we name this, it, it's heart opening. Wow. That things are conditional. Deep understanding that deep things don't go as I want. It's not how it works. When the conditions are there, things happen. If the conditions are not united, br- brought together, things don't happen. And so it talks about uh, lack of control. You know, that I might wish something, I might want something, and it might even be a just, fair, and uh, deserved in some way or something, you know, and still it might not happen. And it's also, so in this there's a recognition that things are not, this deep, deep wisdom, things are not that personal. So for example, uh, you know, maybe I learned that I have a disease, you know, there's a, a diagnosis, and one reactivity that would be absolutely natural and happens, and it's not to put any judgment on it, but why me, you know? Why me is, is a mistaken view, you know? It's, it doesn't have the wisdom in it to recognize that this is happen. It does happen. It's, part, it's absolutely part of this reality, you know? And when the conditions are right, it comes together and, you know, Et voilà, you know, suddenly there's this diagnosis. You know. We can see how it's a really high or deep quality. You know, the capacity of, oh, of course, of course conditions came together. I'm learning this now. You're telling me conditions came together and this is what's happening. You know. Or this that came together, whatever else it is, is not, is dismantling. Is a profound recognition that what appears disappears. You know? And for us, this is blurry. You know, it came to be, so it should be, and it will always be. You know, it's like no. When it comes to be, it's a proof that it will dismantle. If something arises, that's a sign that it will disappear. And the knowing of this is not easy. Although intellectually, we're like, oh yeah, of course, things that appear disappear or come together, break apart. You know. But to know this deeply, deeply, is uh, how the heart opens and the mind stabilizes. Because it's not fearing, oh my God, I hope it doesn't happen. There's if the conditions are right, it is going to happen. You know. I can relax. It's not easy, and I make it easy in the words, you know, but actually, yeah, I don't need to fear in a way, because if it's, you know, if the conditions are right, it is going to happen like this. If the conditions are not right, it's not going to happen like this. The recognition that I don't have control over all the conditions, I can certainly contribute, but control, not, not possible. And so this is very deep stuff, so this meta-compassion Mudita and equanimity is based on wisdom, on deep, deep wisdom uh, that is not easily acquired. It takes a lot of uh, studying and paying attention because the messages we're getting uh, from the dominant culture, maybe, or the common sense sometimes that we have is very, very different. 
So maybe let's sit just for a moment and let these words uh, dissolve. there, what's alive there in the body and heart? Can that be okay that the conditions came together for the body to feel like this? Can it be met with friendliness, though it's not much or intense or not what I want or exactly what I want? Maybe there is inside of you, you can feel the equanimity. Oh, it's like this right now. It's like this right now. May all beings have access to these four qualities of the heart and mind. May they be able to um, relate through these qualities together. No one excluded. May we all experience uh, deep freedom in an uncertain world. May we offer also freedom and protection. Thank you very much for your uh, consideration and uh, bon appétit. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.